Welcome to the Pain Education Podcast. My name is Alex Corey, and as always, I'm joined by Bill Paravano. This podcast is brought to you by the Camella Foundation. Our mission at the Camella Foundation is to relieve pain naturally using osteopathic healing principles. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time Live with your questions where we'll be going into detail on how the underlying patterns in your neurology are affecting pain and tension in your physical body. Hi, it's Bill, the Knee Pain Guru. On behalf of the Camella Foundation, just wanted to introduce Alex Corey. Uh, last year, we had to put the Pain Education Podcast on pause for a moment. And I've recently... Uh, became friends with Alex. We met and we started chatting and I was telling him about uh, the project that we had with the pain education podcast. And it seemed to be a really good partnership in terms of us chatting about all things, health and uh, nutrition and the nervous system and healing and pain and all that. So here we are now. Uh, Alex is working with the Camella Foundation here on uh, doing the pain education podcast again. Yeah, appreciate it, Bill. I definitely take interest in the the holistic aspect, and I'm obviously I have a de couple decades or a decade less experience than you, but I am absolutely fascinated and always curious about um, mechanisms. So my background is in information technology and systems engineering. So I am a very, very engineering left brain sort of guy, but my real um, passions and curiosity are on the the holistic side of health on inflammation, on nutrition, like you said, hydration, growing your own food, all those simple ways to take back power and sovereignty. So the, yeah, the amount of angles this will hit on on pain, on neurology, on reset is going to be amazing. So I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Going and into I, the new year, um, did you want to chat about things uh, people may be running into in in changing some some things about their their life? I know you had a series of topics. Yeah, that, well, that's how we were we were organizing it. I was shooting you over texts when I would ever run into something, and it'd be like, okay, this would be something to chat about, and these concepts or the uh, challenges that I run into working with clients or that I run into with uh, friends or people that are stuck in their life in some way. Um, I, I was shooting you over texts in terms of these would be, this would be a good topic to, to look into in terms of when we're, we're talking about new year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. So if you, you are, you or I, or you and I can pull up uh, that our text threads and we can start riffing off of those concepts. Let's the see. ones that I've, so I've been trying to implement even a couple new ones myself. I'm smart enough to not set too many goals for myself, even though that's what I do for a living is help other people implement their goals. But it, more than one at a time is extremely difficult because the neurology is difficult to change. There's a lot of, a lot of focus and attention. So let me, there we go. Okay. The, the one that I think will resonate with a lot of people and that I have specifically are the the self-destructive beliefs. Um, so the, I've tried everything already. 
nothing's worked. Basically, there's there's too much information and you know, especially me, if I've been trying to dabble with uh, my hip. So my left hip has a consistent pain in it. And you know, I've tried deep tissue massage. I've tried overly stretching. I have a pretty good um, muscular balancing routine in the morning. So I do a lot of like hip, um, hip thrust just to rebalance my glutes and pull my, my anterior pelvic tilt back under, but I'm at that nothing work stage. And then when we were working at, uh, at the physical reset last week, that did work. So what would, what would you walk through someone who was at that? Nothing's worked so far in their, their sort of losing hope stage. Well, I think slowing down the process, yeah. the recognition that when you're at that place, that nothing is work state state or nothing is workplace. I've tried everything. Um, there isn't anything that's going to change. You feel helpless and hopeless. Recognize that the neurology is in a sympathetic state, like right there at a baseline that once we get to a place of exhaustion or fatigue or overwhelm or whatever that is, the neurology is already past its capability of handling anything more. We're already at capacity. And making any sort of plan or decision or moving forward with any action from that place is is setting yourself up for self-sabotage. So the, the, the first step being super present with what's going on in the body at that moment is to go, oh, I'm in that place. This is not the time to try to figure out this complex pattern that's been going on in my hip for weeks, months, years, or decades. Yeah. Like I just, like me as a person, does not have the capacity to go and figure this out. Recognize that that pattern's been there for weeks, months, years, or even decades. Even without being overwhelmed, I'm still not going to be able to figure it out. Because I need an objective pair of eyes from another professional that is going to be able to look at my hip situation objectively, whatever it is, whatever sort of modality or approach that you use, you need another set of eyes looking at the hip to go, hey, Alex, here's how we can approach it. But you're listening to that person with that objective perspective when you're not fatigued and tired and out-resourced out or when you don't have enough resources. Drained, yeah. Yeah, when you're drained, when you're tired, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're, um, you just got done exercising, you need to rest. Uh, you need to take care of yourself. Like This is how many people self-sabotage them, themselves is they take action from a place of deficit. They take action from a place of being overwhelmed or fatigued or tired or hungry or thirsty or uh, sleep deprived, or maybe they went out. It's like their New Year's resolution is to get to the gym 
New Year's morning, but they were out drinking till two or three in the morning. And it's like, they're just not in a place where they're setting themselves up for success. They need to get to that place where the clarity and the direction and the focus comes from a fully resourced, uh, you have, you've done self-care. You've, you're, you're in a good place. Back to baseline. Back to baseline. And here, Here's a problem. Most people don't even know what baseline is. Oh yeah, I totally agree on that one. And it, it's it changes um, based on age, based on on different things. But it's I always have to reevaluate, and it takes a lot of effort just to find your baseline because you have to cut out a lot of things to see see where your foundation really is, and that takes energy and time. So even finding your baseline can be overwhelming for a lot of people. Uh, before we get in the weeds. I would like a, um, and for New Year's, just to set a uh, foundation, what is your definition of neurology? Because it's used, it has so many different, uh, Mm. like some people probably think of just a mental framework, like things Mm. firing in your brain, but obviously it's much more comprehensive. So what is your working definition of neurology? Neurology is how your nervous system is firing. It it's it's intertwined there's a, a mental perspective there's an emotional perspective there's a physical perspective and it's all intertwined together your body can feel physically fatigued but if you exercise you'll get energized and you'll feel better after you exercise um mentally uh, mentally it's like that clarity it's like oh, i feel like i'm firing all cylinders today right my neurology feels clear and focused and directed um but emotionally it's like i'm in a good place i'm not feeling depressed i'm not feeling sad i'm not feeling angry i'm feeling like yeah okay let's see what we got going on so and and the neurology i see is how we perceive the world through our neurology Um, Our neurology changes based on thousands of different inputs. Our temperature will change, like our physical body temperature will change based on the seasons or a a cold front coming in or a storm coming in. It'll change how we feel, how we perceive, Uh, whether my belly is full or empty how I will perceive, like, that's my neurology, giving me signals, giving me cues. Um, The quality of food that I eat affects my neurology, how I perceive the world, how I function, how I can exercise or not exercise, or I need to wait to exercise. Um, The water that we take in, it, it, it goes into understanding our neurology and getting a sense of when days are good or when days are bad or we feel energy or not or tired or not or whatever that is is that helpful because it it we can't painting a picture like me to i think of the internet when with the picture you just painted i think of the base infrastructure or internet of your body how everything communicates how everything is connected uh, how energy moves, basically just the web that connects everything in your body, sort of the layer one of your body where you can mess with any specific segment 
and it'll send ripples, but you're talking about the the communication and sort of signaling of your body. Is that accurate? Yep. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with That's that. Really good. And it you could perceive it through your thoughts, you could perceive it through your emotions, you could perceive it through your physical body, you can perceive it through your spirit. All of it, it's kind of this. I don't see it as like you separate one or the right. other, although you see a lot of fields of study that try to separate it and say, it's all in your mind right. or it's all in your body. And this is where I see many people uh, sabotaging because they get stuck in one aspect that will um, lead to the self-sabotage for instance mm. everybody loves you know the military well, i shouldn't say everybody loves the military but like the navy seals the, the delta force yeah. the rangers the elite. the elite of the special forces special operations community yes. and there's that perception of having that mental toughness that mm. emotional toughness that physical toughness so there's lots of people that want to emulate that that want to push their physical bodies to its capacity and do that on a consistent and a regular basis. But when, what ends up happening is if there isn't taken into consideration some level of recovery in that pushing the physical body, that you're, you're doing it full out, full on every day, uh, think CrossFit, or yeah. things like that, where lots of people get injured. Oh yeah, as a result of that, because they're shutting off those other aspects of who they are. That is saying, okay, you need to recover. I think so, of David Goggins uh, because he is right now sort of the uh, the poster child, a very inspirational figure. Uh, he's been on Rogan's podcast, and he, he's a a big name. But his thing is basically just keep hard like and cam haynes who's also another one of joe rogan's friends just keep hammering so it is that mentality of push yourself to like 110 percent because it's physically possible but what people don't really um talk about as much on that side is all of his stories involve like shattered limbs like he broke so many different things doing his ridiculous um feats of of human athleticism so you can do it and that mental toughness can push your body like past its physical limits but mm -hmm. yeah the recovery is never spoken about in that because you end up with you know building tension patterns or shattering bones or tearing ligaments like your body has a serious recovery need and this that's my new focus for this year is the the recovery piece because i'm real good at beating myself into the ground but i'm I need to get much better at at least balancing and regulating better. Sure. Uh, as a society, right. we're kind of, uh, we're, we're kind of taught from a very early age to ignore yep. what's going on with us. Um, uh, just do it. The night sleep when you're dead. No pain, no gain. No, yeah, all of them. Yeah. Sleep in your body. Right. Uh, you could sleep when you're dead. You know, yeah. just like you said. And there is a tremendous amount of value in understanding how to push your physical body 
past a mental limitation or an yes. emotional limitation that you have put in place. But if you look at Olympic level or professional level athletes, they peak, meaning their physical body being able to push as much as it can is maybe only one, two, three times per year. Right. Like, they know that. Yeah. Right. And if they continue to push their body over a period of time, the body begins to break down. Yeah. And there's not a lot that's spoken about that, that when you see the, um, the, the gymnasts or whoever that is, that is doing those feats and they're playing it on video clips over and over and over again, that they're only doing this for a couple days each year. Right. Well, and <laughs> that is, that is impressive, but right. You never see the rest of the time when they're actively recovering and just sure. walking or just taking it easy. Or if you're in the gym or in a, like a, a bodybuilding type environment, cause I, I do. Um, I used to do more personal training than I do now, more holistic now. But mm -hmm. you would see people training for competitions, and you only ever see that that physique photo. But what you don't see is if you know them, half of them check themselves into the hospital when they're done because they have run themselves into the ground and are like medically adrenal fatigued, where their cortisol doesn't respond anymore, just from cranking their body out. So yeah, the recovery aspect isn't, isn't seen. Mm -hmm. It's the unseen that takes to get there. Yeah. One of the things and I've got, um, I used to study or train at a CrossFit gym in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, it's changed hands. I think the ownership of it, but the, the coach that I was training under, his name was Ben Carter. And one of the, the concepts that I learned from him, this was on the strength side of things, that there was a periodization uh -huh. to training. Yeah. You do something, you focus on it for, let's say, six, eight, nine weeks, and then you pivot and you focus on another area. So maybe it's strength training, and then you go to flexibility or stretching while you're doing some strength, but it's not going to be peaking yes. out. And it was really, it changed my mentality in terms of how I need to approach strength training. Cause I didn't, that concept was foreign to me. It was like, Oh, you just got to lift and keep lifting. And the body eventually goes, no, I don't want to lift heavy stuff anymore. And then you get injured and then you got to start over and there's a complete reset and yep. it just doesn't work all that well. Right. And this is, if you're in a, a resistance training or a strength training um, protocol, usually there's a deload period, even within that periodization, meaning you will go, you know, progressive overload. So push for like two or three weeks, and then you back off. Mm -hmm. Meaning even within that short period of adaptation, you have to give your body recovery time. Mm -hmm. And most of the most of the well-known athletes who have uh, a good amount of communication, you know, their own podcasts, like Ben Greenfield, have been better about stressing this. Like uh, Mark Sisson, the founder of the Primal Movement, was that's Primal's thing that that we as coaches enjoy. Uh, that's my coaching model is focus on recovery. As in, if you go back and look through evolutionary models, you would never want to push yourself on a daily basis if you're conserving energy because 
it just puts you in a weakened state. So the, the premise behind sort of max output, max recovery, meaning this is your go all out for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes, and then as much recovery as you can, because adrenal fatigue is, is real. Or even if you don't go all the way to adrenal fatigue, mental fatigue, brain fog, just lethargy, well, lack depression. of motivation, all of depression. depression. Yeah. Like your, your neurology will tell you real fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is where it can show up in different people in different ways. Right. Some person, some people just aren't able to focus. Other people just feel like their emotions are out of control because they don't have the, those um, resources to keep their emotions at a consistent basis. Right. Uh, some people physically, they just can't get out of bed. They can't move. Uh, so uh, we need to, to balance that, yeah. those inputs. What, Nessa, you do a physical reset circle on Tuesday. Um, oh, we live... 10 minutes away for anyone who didn't know. So right. um, you probably, people will be hearing a lot of us just because we'll be, uh, we're so close to each other physically, but, but you do Western, a reset Western, Western mountains North of Western North Carolina. Yeah. Yep. Right. Just North of Asheville. Um, in your physical research reset circle that you host on, on Tuesdays, mm -hmm. how, are there different aspects that you walk people through getting back to their baseline or even finding their baseline? Cause it probably is a different angle for each person. Like you said, what I focus on in that physical reset circle is more teaching people how to get their neurology to a parasympathetic state as quickly as possible. Gotcha. Using physical positions of comfort. So most people think, um, of comfort, it's like, well, I'm going to kick my feet up on the couch or on a recliner or whatever that is and relax and they feel comfortable. But there is a level of comfort when we begin to train the neurology to get to a parasympathetic state, a rested and relaxed state. The more we train the neurology to be able to get to that deeper sense of relaxation, deeper sense of comfort, you, you won't realize how tense you are until mm. the tension is not there. Right. It's like perfect example. You wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden you hear the grandfather clock in the hallway ticking away. And it's like, I never heard that clock before. I never hear it during the day. Well, why not? Because the baseline of sound is higher. It, it's uh, loud, louder during the day. And you don't hear these subtle noises. But when you go to sleep and you wake up in the middle of the night, the level of sound has been dissipated. The baseline of that sound is dissipated. So your awareness of the sound of the grandfather clock in the hallway is more acute. You gain more awareness. You notice things that you wouldn't have noticed during the day. Our neurology is very, this, very much the same way. When we're getting on the treadmill and we're running or biking or lifting weights, doing CrossFit or mm -hmm. competition or whatever that is, and, and you feel good, 
your nervous system you're, is getting um, excited. It, it moves into a sympathetic state. It moves into a sympathetic state anytime we're engaging it in a way that elevates it, raises our heart rate, uh, increases our uh, need to breathe, mm -hmm. blood pressure goes up. The body mo moves into an elevated sympathetic state. Um, and what ends up happening is we don't feel these subtle things like a tweak in our knee when we're running or um, uh, something going in our back when we're rushing out the door to get to work or whatever the case is. All these things happen. I slip on the ice because of um, I'm in a hurry or I'm just walking and I slip on the ice. All these little things happen throughout our day. And then we're at the end of the day and the body's starting to drop a little bit. And it's like, oh, man, what's going on with my back? Uh -huh. Oh, gee, my knee's bugging me. And I and you think about it. Oh, well, that was when I was running trails the other day. And now the neurology is held on to that pattern and it it begins to forget how to let go of those patterns because this tension pattern gets stuck in the neurology from um, just a general level of tension. As we start to drop that tension, we gain more awareness of, oh, that tweak in my knee is connected with my hip. And that's the way I sit in the car when I drive to work and I'm stuck in traffic. Yep. And, and, but when, when our nervous system's in a heightened sympathetic state, we don't notice these things. So the, yeah, the, the correlation for nutrition for that is overwhelming. And I, I actually have to warn people at this point, because part of what I do is you find your baseline as in, what does it feel like whenever you aren't constantly spiking your blood glucose or cortisol or any of those. And you're just at your, like basically a meditative state, as far as your body is concerned food wise. And the same thing applies is most people are very used to a heightened level of inflammation. So whenever they start knocking that down, they will find that more things than they thought were causing them to get into an inflammatory state. So the amounts of, of types of foods that, you know, they thought they were fine with that were serving them uh, drastically reduces. So it, it, when you can feel sort of clean, whatever that means to you, your, your low natural hum, where you don't feel your mood swings or you don't feel any of that, more things than you think will cause that noise in your nutrition and you'll you notice it more quickly whenever you found your baseline and it's unfortunately most more foods than people think but that's the exact same analogy where you can feel that the um, what causes your you know inflammation in your knee exactly like you were saying or um, like a little minor palpitation or a little brain fog things like that that rear their head that you can't decipher if there's you know everything going on at once but once you've find your baseline. And then you're like, Oh, I didn't know that triggered. That is a whole discovery process. It's so fascinating to watch. Yeah. And that's what, when people go on meditation retreats right. or a few years ago, I did a uh, vision quest where I was in the woods for four days 
and the, your baseline continues to drop and drop and drop and your your life gets very quiet and very simple and you come out of that place and you're noticing things your awareness is more acute and uh, targeted towards like those things that are causing the irritation in your neurology it's like oh i don't even feel like talking to that person right now that's that's gonna go wrong so it's like i'll just let the phone go to voicemail because i don't want to get myself upset right now right and yeah. So, so you could you utilize when you create that quieter baseline in your neurology through um, fasting. So you reduce the general inflammation in your body and introduce one food at a time when you're coming off of that fast to pay attention to how that affects mm-hmm. my physical body, my brain, my emotions. Same thing when you in the physical reset circle, we drop that level in the neurology. What happens when I go to lift those weights? What happens when I go to sit in the car and drive? What happens when I just walk? Does my pattern come immediately back? Or do I notice it because I'm just wearing those specific types of shoes? Right. Or, uh, Gosh, I'm trying to trying to think of an example when I do that type of exercise. Yeah, exactly. And how long do you think it would take for someone to to find their base? If it's hard to carve out for a lot of people that have families or just busy lives, uh, time to actually pay attention to all that. How long do you think it? it takes and what's your like real easy protocol for even starting that discovery process? Well, my, my day job Mm -hmm. is helping people with knee pain. I have a, a program. And when I, when I begin working with a client, it's just having them spend 10 to 15 minutes in the morning and in the evening working on creating comfort in their knee and noticing what shifts and changes, how the knee feels different. Um, It doesn't take long. It's definitely quality time doing it over quantity. Right. Um, Many people will think, well, I need to, I don't have time to take off four days and do a vision quest or do a meditation retreat. But if you take five, 10, 15 minutes per day, and begin working with your neurology on how to diffuse the tension in your neurology, you're going to gain a tremendous amount of awareness in a very short period of time. Um, Awareness can happen in an instant, given the right circumstances. And many times there isn't given the opportunity to, to wipe the slate clean to, um, Uh, I refer to it in my classes, uh, empty your cup. Mm -hmm. If you have a cup of half a cup full of dirty water and you fill it with clean water to the top, now you have a full cup of dirty water. (laughs) It's like people are, and I remember I was helping a guy out in, uh, it's a funny story for another day. Um, He was out in Reno, uh, Nevada. 
and we were talking about cleaning up his diet. And this is why I backed off of doing nutrition stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not my gig. That's, that's why we're going to get along great. <laughs> uh, that he was trying to figure out how to reduce the inflammation in his body, still continuing to go out to eat at all the restaurants that he'd been going out to. Yeah. So it, it, he wasn't quite ready to make that full commitment to clean out the pantry, to reset everything and start from scratch. Pantry purge. Yep. He wasn't ready to do that. So you're kind of getting stuck in the, in the neurology thing and in reducing the tension in the neurology, people want to do create comfort, get rid of the knee pain, but they still want to continue do, going to physical therapy. They still want to continue going to the gym and s- strengthening the legs. But by strengthening the legs, they're actually causing the pain that you're trying to get out of. Right. So it's like this belief system that doubling down on shit that doesn't work is actually going to get them out of pain faster than if they would just stop and do the thing that's going to get their knee out of pain the quickest, which is comfort. Right. That just makes sense from a logical perspective. So the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. So if you're in pain, your fastest and shortest direction out of pain is to create comfort, not to put the body into more pain, thinking that somehow the pain is going to disappear when you start out in pain it might be some of the endorphin rush that you get from exercising that briefly numbs it when you don't feel it so you're convincing yourself that it's working because i have this too i have a history of of knee pain and mine was caused by poor uh well shoes basically just um constantly elevated heels so i can started running again but i had knee pain for the longest time and strength training, um, the muscles that supported the knee made it go away briefly because I was careful of the torque, but that's, you know, a lot of endorphins rushing and, uh, dopamine and all of your adaptive hormones are numbing things when you're in that state. And then obviously after, like you said, it comes back. (laughs) So yeah, right. It's not helpful in the long run, obviously. There, there are definite, definite imbalances that present themselves in the physical body. And if you work on strengthening the antagonistic muscles to bring the body back into balance, the pain has the opportunity to go away. Most people don't slow down enough to understand where the antagonistic muscle pattern needs to be strengthened in order to bring the balance to the physical body. Most people double down on what hasn't been working, thinking that doubling down on what hasn't been working is somehow magically going to get the knee or the body part out of pain and get you to a place of no pain. Which means that the awareness of the pattern continues to decrease the more they double down on what isn't working. Is that make is that making sense? Yes. Like we get tunnel vision. And it's like I'm j- if I exercise, if I strengthen my quads, my knee pain will go away. 
the problem is it may not be the quads that need to be strengthened. It's going to make the knee pain, knee pain go away. Right. So I flipped the script. I'm coming from the perspective. If we create comfort in the knee, the imbalance in the pattern is going to be more apparent to you because now your neurology is quieted down. It's easier to recognize the pattern because you've increased the awareness by moving the body into a parasympathetic state. Right. So, um, you, it, it's, it's like you slow down to speed up. They talk about this in, in gun work. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Right. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Military motto. Yeah. Yeah, Just, uh, right. Yep. So if you're able to slow down and do the movement correctly, you're going to move faster than the person that's going through all jittery and crazy and worried about that they're somehow going to not be strong enough or not be fast enough or not make the competition or whatever that is. And what uh, was the speed that you said the body reflects oh, that? I, lo I yes. absolutely love that. So the neurology fires at 286 miles per hour. Yeah. When the doctor, you go to a doctor, they check your reflexes. They'll tap at your um, elbow mm -hmm. and they'll tap right below your kneecap, your patella. And your, your reflexes will fire. Your knee will jump. You'll, something will shoot down your arm. You'll feel it in your hands and the doctor is checking for these reflexes and when the doctor taps that those reflexes are firing to your brain and back down firing from your knee up to your brain and back down that fires at 286 miles per hour so when we engage the physical body in a position of comfort we engage those same reflexes so we teach the body to let go of the tension that it's holding on to, to move it to a parasympathetic state. Yeah. It, it's that's, kind of a, that's incredible. That's incredibly fast to think about it that way. Cause you can think about it. It, for some reason it doesn't hit home when you're thinking about doing something like you get hit and you respond that quickly, but when you're in pain and trying to get out of it, same principle applies because you're still talking about the same neurology. So you can <clears throat> let the body pull back or heal just as quickly, mm -hmm. which is yeah. thank, thankfully that's the case. <laughs> right. Yeah. So here's an interesting point. And it's fascinating to think about no matter what level of pain you're in, think of the worst kind of excruciating pain you could be in. If you push the body, put the body, now nothing is broken or torn. Let's get that straight. This right. is just the physical body. Uh, something uh, got twisted in my back or something like that. If we put the body into a position of comfort, the body can release the tension just as fast as it got into pain. So if I stub my toe, my whole body compensates. There was a point of contact the toe had with the couch or the desk right. or, or the bed, um, the bed frame 
that will send a signal, a reflex signal through the body, telling the body to tense up to protect itself. We can match that direction and force and vector like of that, uh, essentially that energy that went into the body in the same way and diffuse that tension just as quickly. That is great for that first excuse that we, or one of the most common excuses, which is I'm too far gone. Right. I, I can't be helped. Why bother? Nothing works. I've been doing this consistently for so long that like, this is a permanent knot. This is a permanent tension pattern. But if you apply that thinking, you're like, you can diffuse it just as quickly. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a, a deeper it's you know difference between surface surface level something and then deeper layers of something but the same principle applies going in the other direction sure use it as quickly and understand this is an incredibly nuanced conversation this right. is we're we're focusing on uh, principles of how the body heals and if someone has been holding a tension pattern in their body for decades and now their joints have been dehydrated for uh, an extended period of time and their diet has been poor and their joints don't have the resources it needs to rehydrate them and their discs start herniating in their neck and their back and um, you know you could see it's like a cascade of things there can be limitations mm -hmm. in which the body is able to heal but we don't know what that limitation is until you stop doing all of the things that isn't working and begin going in the right direction. And once again, most people are kind of trying to do it without changing their diet, without drinking enough water, while continuing to have habits in their life that move them further away from the experience that they, they're claiming that they want. Right. So there are lots of other factors because you get into the um, conventional medical model of the bone on bone situations or advanced arthritis or horn um, meniscus and tendons and fractured bones and things like that, which play into this understanding. We just have to figure out, get really present to where we are in that spectrum and begin to put strategic things in place that are going to make the greatest difference in the shortest period of time. Right. And before I forget, uh, you said something yesterday that caught my attention when we were chatting and it was structure governs function, if I remember correctly. Yes. Can you explain that briefly? Because that's one of those like first principles that it took me like, I had to think about that for a minute. Sure. Uh, it's it's one of the tenets of that osteopathy was founded on. Osteopathy is a field of uh, medicine that uh, founded by Andrew Taylor Stills. He was a, uh, I believe he was a surgeon during the Civil War, and he had lost children with other doctors, there's a lot of history yeah. with it. And he found that if you 
put the body structure in place, it's now going to optimize the body's ability to heal. Meaning like if my shoulder is dislocated and hanging off my body, no matter how much deep tissue massage I do, no matter how many herbs I take or essential oils I rub on it or incense or crystals or whatever the hell you're working with to put on there, if the, sh the shoulder is dislocated, the ability of the body to heal is going to be limited. The shoulder needs to be in the right place in relationship to the rest of the body in order for the healing mechanisms of the human body to kick in to begin to heal what's going on in the shoulder, the inflammation, a tear, a broken bone, whatever that is. Uh, same thing if a bone is out of place or, or a, a broken and the bone isn't in the right relationship, the structure has to be there. That's why they put casts on it and reset the bone so the bone can mend and knit together. Structure governs function. So if we have these unnatural tension patterns in the physical body or the bones are out of place, this is where uh, chiropractic can be incredibly valuable, that if you have a vertebrae that is not in the correct alignment in the spinal column, and we put that vertebrae back into place, now the healing properties of the body can come online to be able to heal what's going on in the physical body. Uh, from an osteopathic perspective, uh, there are two different ways of reestablishing the structure. There's the direct approach and there's an indirect approach. The direct approach would most likely be akin to like a chiropractic adjustment. The chiropractor will put the bone back into place. Osteopaths who specialize in manual manipulation can put the bones back into place to bring the healing capacity of the body back online. What isn't all that familiar is an indirect approach. Right. Indirect approach is where you put the body in a position of comfort, the reflexes engage, and the body will pull the, the bone, the muscle, the tendon, the ligament, the fluid, the fascia back into its right relationship with the rest of the body. And that's where most people are familiar with the direct approach, the deep tissue massage, the rolfing, the chiropractic. And, and once again, I'm painting with a very broad brush, but there are, uh, most people want to get in there and, and dig and stick an elbow or a knuckle or have somebody walk on their back or you know, push things back into place, which is very valuable has its place, has its role. However, on some level, the body's going to resist that change. The body's going to resist its structure going back into the proper alignment because of it's being imposed on. And when we truly support the physical body where it feels safe, supported, and listened to, now that physical body can engage the reflexes that will allow the, the trauma or the accident, the injury, the surgery 
the slip or the fall on the ice, the twisted ankle, whatever that is, it can pull the body back into place on its own. And we let the body do the heavy lifting. And right. that's why that's why many times people get frustrated is because they've only been looking at the direct approach side of the equation as far as how to get the body to heal. Well, it sounds like no pain, no gain. Like when you're when you're under when someone is physically adjusting something it it sounds like no pain no gain like a deep tissue where you're just like yeah get in there dig like if you don't feel something excruciating happening you don't think anything is actually happening but this is right. also kind of reminds me of um joe Dispenza's work like i always bring up when i'm talking to you which is putting the body back into a safe creative space where like the energy is released and you get like unlimited unlimited but like quantum states of um self-healing where the body will do it itself whenever it feels like it's safe to do that like exactly like you just said if it feels like it's under tension or if if it has to protect if you're in that sympathetic state and it's not time to heal create spend the energy doing that because you still have to have your your walls up mm-hmm. then it's such a mindset hurdle even i i know it and it's still a mindset hurdle for me where i'm just like just stop trying so hard get comfortable because it's not doing anything it's that just do it model again it's just you're not doing anything you're like what is this doing i can't feel anything (laughs) but obviously it works yeah well it reminds me of a book i'm not remembering the author it's called power versus force oh and it's the recognition between innate power that we have as human beings, as opposed to trying to force an agenda. David Hawkins? Yes. It's a great book. And they did a, a they, they do a lot of kinesiology testing. Yeah. So they're doing muscle testing on specific writings like uh, the Bible and the Quran and yeah. all these different books to see where they are on a scale in terms of the power versus force. It's a fascinating, fascinating um, read. And that's a good concept in, in training as well. More and more people are paying attention to power. So wattage output, meaning sure how, how strong is your neurology rather than brute force, like how much can you lift? doesn't matter how much you can lift based on your weight, based on your power takes into account everything. Like, you know, if you're a small person and you're generating an enormous amount of power for your, your size, then obviously your neurology is firing optimally and that's what it's looking at. So that's a great, great analogy for me. That's pretty clear. Yeah, it, it, it's great. And it, um, oh my gosh, where were we? I'm, I'm, Total body healing versus... Right, the healing. So when we are in our power, it's like the the tides. If the tide's coming in and we're trying to row out, we're going to spend a lot of energy and we're not going to go very far. Mm. And we're going to end up tired at the end. But if we wait till the tide's coming out, put the boat in the water, maybe take a nap in the meantime, then drop the boat in the water and then ride out, 
as the tide's going out, then we're going to get very far with minimal effort. And we're working with the power. We're in the the natural movement of the energy flow of the ocean. Right. An electrical body. So minimizing resistance just as a pure electrical formula. If you you know squash the resistance all the way down, then you're going to generate some serious current with minimal input. Sure. Yeah. yeah, totally. And when we are in a sympathetic state, we're too tied with the outcome that we want, like our ego yeah. to do something that we don't, we're, we're trying to force our agenda onto a bigger picture that isn't going to have it. And the more we become aware of these ebbs and flows, like one of the things that I absolutely did not do well on was uh, this whole concept of waking up early Mm -hmm. and, you know, doing the workout and starting my day, which I think is great. And some days I knock it out of the park, but there's other days that it's just not happening. Like no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I will myself to do it and I can get out of bed, but my day looks horrible. Right. I don't, I, I usually end up getting injured. Yes. That's when that happens. Time when I try to push myself from a place where I am just so absolutely fatigued or I stayed up a little later finishing up a project or something like that and recognizing that we have these ebbs and flows of our energy throughout the day that change day to day. Yes. And if the more aware I get and not beat myself up in the process of that, oh, maybe I'm just going to clean and organize. So when my brain clears up and and I feel more focused and directed that I'm going to be able to get all those things done. Yes. It, I love going, that. I'm going to um, work on organization or cleaning up, or I'm going to just do the dishes or uh, straighten up. I, I One of the things that we're famous here is calling, we're staging projects. Mm. I'm just collecting all the materials to, um, to do, uh, to cook something or, or to work on a garden project, or maybe, maybe I don't feel like, doing anything creative i'm just going to run to the store and get the uh, whatever i need the ingredients or, or for for the different projects yeah so i'm not trying to get the project done i'm just getting ready for when i'm ready to do the project yeah and this is something that appeals to especially those type a personalities like me where yeah if you try to force it when you're not in the space to force it you're going to get a suboptimal output uh, or you won't be happy with it or you're going to injure yourself which is exactly what i do a lot of people like you said if they have the i have to go to the gym just for that discipline thing like i have to get this just so i can check it off those are the days you won't do your proper warm up because all of your will is just getting there and doing it and you just skip the 20 minutes that's actually prepping your body for the work and that's mm-hmm. when you injure your lower back and i'm talking to myself when i say this because that is exactly when i injure my lower because i won't do the 
the stupid flexion and extension in my lower back to warm it up. And then I'll just go squat and I'll, it only takes one bad rep. So yeah, willpower is, and I, I think I learned this and it was a really unfortunate thing to hear, but it definitely sounded correct, which was you do not have willpower for specific areas or topics of your life. You have willpower as a thing. And if you, if you spend all your willpower doing one thing, it doesn't just, you don't get a second wind of it in another area. Mm -hmm. Now you can probably change that if you're really good at tapping into like alpha brainwave states and you can just give your body an extra like energy boost. But, um, for, I've found that to be true. If I have, if I have the willpower to do cooking, just prep cook, you know, Mm -hmm. if I don't have the bandwidth to do uh, video editing or a workout, but if I can get all my cooking done for three days, that's a huge win. Didn't take the energy output, didn't take the concentration, but sure. like you said, that was staging for the week. Sure. Yeah. And I don't like the willpower. If you, if you, if you pivot in the area that you're focused on, mm. meaning like for me to write, yes, the creative venture and i don't have infinite amount of creative energy when it comes to writing i'll write for a period of time and then my eyes start crossing and i'm thinking of what to say and how to say it and sometimes i just got to step away from that and do something completely different um sometimes it's moving heavy mindless stuff like around the land here working on a gardening project and that re-energizes me to do Mm -hmm. something else yeah i I think the the big thing and especially being on a homestead here and working on a lot of different types of projects from internet business to Mm -hmm. exercise and healing center and permaculture and uh, all that kind of stuff there's a lot of things to choose from to look and see, oh, I need to pivot to do this other thing in this other place. Yes. And it allows, excuse me, it allows me an active recovery in those other, those other places. Yeah. I don't write, but I know the feeling of writer's block and just the science of creativity is super weird. And exactly like you said, if I have, if I just can't do something, I'm not making any progress. Like I have the energy, but the creative juices aren't flowing. I will go for a walk or I'll Mm -hmm. go out and garden or do something, especially outside. Like the creative juices are usually reinvigorated if I go outside and that's got a lot of epigenetic effects as well that, that I've started paying attention to, but gardening specifically uh, barefoot, just because that's an ion recharge will usually give me a creative boost. And I did a whole video about walking, like walking is the best thing for just sorting through things, getting ideas. Um, But exactly like you said, even if it's not an energy thing, pivoting and doing something else when you're just hitting resistance is a really good way to re-energize yourself and your, your interest in it. Cause I'll get bored after 20 minutes of not being able to get out what I want to get out. I'll just be like, okay, this is literally a waste of time. (laughs) I go do something else. And then yeah. it'll come to me when I'm not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's uh, that, that pivot, your, your brain is looking in a different area. It's like uh, when you're trying to look for your keys, the, they're in the last place you look for them. 
Yep. Usually right in front of me when yeah. I'm not looking for them. Yep. <clears throat> so do you have any, you do a Pervilo on, on Friday morning at your, at your place in Weaverville. Do you have any stories from that? Because it's such a, phys- or I guess describe Pervilo for people who don't know what Pervilo is. Uh, maybe we could uh, use your technical expertise and throw in a clip in. Ah, we can. I will put a clip in here. Maybe a link. Maybe a link to describe. Yeah. Video. So think of it. It's a. It's a six foot high. Eight by ten foot wooden structure with pulleys in the four corners. Weight and ropes on those pulleys with one end of those ropes attached to weights and the other end has uh, wraps that go around your wrist and ankle. So uh, think of being drawn and quartered. Yeah. Uh, that was an experience. Yep. And yeah, I will do it again. So uh, there, there is actually one of the earlier pain education podcasts. I interviewed Arseny uh, Grebnov, who's out of New Jersey, who brought Provilo to oh. North America. So anybody who is uh, watching this podcast may want to go back to uh, that interview I did with Arseny. Uh, but it's it's a machine, a Russian contraption that builds tendons, ligaments, and fascial strength in the physical body in traction, which is completely opposite of everything from a Western perspective. So Western, when we're lifting things, when we're lifting weights, deadlift, squat, bench press, uh, all of the joints are being compressed. We're lifting and the tension in the body is in compression. We're building strength in compression. And the Provilo flips the script on that and is doing everything in traction. So the joints are being pulled. The spine is being pulled. The legs are being pulled in a way that allows you to build strength in the tendons, ligaments, and fascia in traction, which is a completely opposite concept of um, building strength in the physical body. I brought it up because I'm curious if you've, or I'm sure you have, but I'm curious what the ramifications people who have used it have told you in their general outlook towards tension and pain, because it triggered like a whole bunch of cascades in my body, obviously my lower left hip, like I mentioned, but just the, the way you can feel tension moving because you don't have to balance yourself and you're, you know, pretty much suspended. So you, I could, um, twist and let muscles relax that never get the chance to relax and then sort of feel where tension was moving in my body. What have you heard from people that they couldn't, that they didn't know about their body until they used that? Anything like that? Well, a lot of people, and this goes back to the conversation we were having at the beginning, like we aren't 
aware of how much tension we're holding until we're not holding that tension. Right. Oh, yeah. A lot of people will get into the Previlo and they're still trying to like hold on and suspend themselves in that tension. They, in on a very fundamental level, they don't trust their body. They don't trust what their body can do. They don't know themselves on a deep enough level to be able to let go and trust that their body can handle it. So there, there's a lot to be said for um, working with the Provilo, not only from a physical perspective, from um, a mental, emotional, psychological perspective, that you have to breathe in order to relax the tension in your body to be able to move and let go on different levels as you're capable of. And just, a, we described it as what would sound to a person who hasn't seen it before as a medieval torture device. It looks like one. <laughs> However, we, we started you out with yeah. very light weight in the four um on your four limbs and you were able to get that um experience that it doesn't have to be this overwhelming um experience all at right. once you can gradually and that that's a self-sabotage thing what people yes. is instead of going gradually and building up oh i haven't been working out at the gym um, for nine months and I'm going to start my new year's resolution, we'll start out gentle, gentle, start out by stretching, just start out with 10 pounds, even though you may not look as cool at the gym or whatever it is, you're not also going to make it into a sustainable habit. It's not going to be an overwhelming experience for your neurology where you get hurt. Right. So Following up on the the Previlo experience, do people notice how, as you get further and further in, like I'm sure as I move weight up, I will start to have some epiphanies like, oh, that's how I get to that point in my body. How do people replicate that level of, of awareness of their body without having sort of that that tension, like that's a very specific exercise being suspended. So you can, you don't have to hold yourself. If, is there any way that you know of other than meditation and just focusing attention on a specific body that is there anything you do that helps you hone in on different aspects of your body to sort of like scan for tension patterns? I, I notice how I'm sitting, how mm. I'm standing, how I'm walking where I'm comfortable and where I'm not. Um, I have cultivated that level of awareness in my daughter. So now she's starting to point out the stuff in me. Oh. She'll come up to me as I'm, as I'm sitting here, like this is my desk and she will come and push on my upper back and I'll be straighten like, you up. Yeah. Straighten yeah. me up. I'm like, Oh yeah. I didn't realize I'm doing that. Yeah. But having other people, in your life that are aware as well. Um, other eyeballs on what you're working with. Um, a lot of times people will be like, uh, 
you ask them, do you have tension? In, you have tension in your shoulders? Is your neck okay? And they're like, what, what do you mean? And there's just a complete disconnect. Yeah, Bill shrugging right now. If if for all of the podcast listeners, like the the traps and shoulders, yeah, right under tension do elevate like an extreme amount, and I can feel that myself. And I will ask someone, and usually they're aware enough where I'll be like, "How's your day been?" And if it's an out of the ordinary question, if I'm looking at them, they'll be like, "What am I doing?" And then they'll relax. So it's a good cue to you're doing something right now that is cueing there's tension. But yeah, why do this is completely separate. Why do people, so many people store tension in their shoulders and traps? Because that's a known thing. So this is interesting and this will get a little woo-woo. Whatever. <laughs> when people, they talk, when when people, uh, they'll say they're ungrounded. Yes. When the body goes into a sympathetic state, the tension raises in the physical body it the body gets less mobile less flexible the tension yeah. rises and there's somewhat of a disconnection between the brain and the physical body so it's almost like i guess you would be uh the tension is raising in the physical body so i was gonna say yeah it's a physical manifestation of where your energy is totally interesting yeah, i didn't know is that straightforward yeah. <laughs> so when, and then people don't breathe down right. into their belly. Right. So the tension is not down into their legs or down into their feet being connected with the ground. So I, I, that, that's kind of how I view it. And the more a person relaxes, the more a person gets a sense of their feet, of their legs, their belly pushes out more because they're breathing easier. They're able to connect with the ground easier. I, I tend to look at things super simplistic mm -hmm. because there's plenty of things we could look at that could complicate yeah. the hell out of things. Well, I over-engineer everything, so I appreciate the simplicity. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, just like you said, as an example for myself, I will, and this has been much easier and way more drastic since I started Tai Chi and, and Qigong, if I feel my hips inflamed, just, you know, not if I can feel my hips, basically, um, meaning, you know, I shouldn't feel it. You don't feel your ear. If there's nothing wrong with your ear, same concept. I will intentionally feel, feel my feet, like splay my toes out, feel my heel and just direct attention towards it. And I will feel energy move from my hip into my foot. And I'm like, that's super weird. And then the pain will not go away, but it'll like dissipate. I'll feel it move with just that, like grounding, like you said. So fit or intentionally attempting to feel the other extremity. And then my hip, I don't know if I'm holding one hip higher. There's obviously a tension pattern there. It sounds like, but something as simple as that, or, you know, most people might encounter this when they're stretching as you can try to stretch through pain if you're not limber like me, but uh, because your muscles are holding it because they're protecting you, but it takes me a good 45 seconds of breathing into the area. And there's a, like a noticeable relaxation, which is mm -hmm. very weird if you're not used to that. And you're just used to sort of feeling the stretch instead of actually feeling the muscle fibers relax into mm -hmm. it because they're safe. 
very sure. similar concept in my brain because it it takes a while of a, attention to do that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot to um, uh, looking at things through the neurology. Mm-hmm. It, that's what I look through everything. It all makes sense when I look through the neurology and what does your nervous system need in order to perform the way you want it to perform. And to get a, not woo woo, but just branch off again. We had a, we were having a conversation the other day about using that neurological framework to even set up like conflict resolution systems, which is a totally different podcast. So we won't go there, but it is such a broad and direct lens that it can lend to sort of all forms of uh, interpersonal dynamics, communication, like local government setup, just anything where you're trying to present a, I guess, present and grounded version of yourself. Yeah. So seeing things or making sure everyone involved has is aware of their neurology or looking through things through the lens of the neurology and not um, not judging, I guess, is a good way to describe that. Whenever the, the neuro, anyone's neurology is in a sympathetic state, they have tunnel vision, they have less options, there's less creativity, um, there is more likely conflict. If you limit options, you have less options to choose from to find a, a an amicable solution for everybody. Right. Conversely, if you're if you're in a parasympathetic state, you're more creative. You could find a mutual solution, or not. Like you could find a place where it's like, yeah, you know, we just don't. Right. We don't get along on this, and. It's okay. You do your thing. I'm going to do mine. And we, but we're coming at it where we're, we're still um, okay with each other on the other side of it. We don't have to like each other. We don't have to get along perfectly, but we could find a place where eh, it, it's okay. If uh, maybe, maybe sometime down the road, this will work out, but we very rarely find that in a sympathetic state. Right. We find it in a parasympathetic state. What would you guess that as a society we're at percentage wise, sympathetic to parasympathetic on a day-to-day basis? We're mostly in paras or uh, mostly in sympathetic. I think people society in general is addicted to the sympathetic. I would agree. Hit. Yeah. If you look at your average um, email subject line, uh, advertisement on the internet, uh, news media headline, newspaper headline, it's all to give a person that sympathetic spike. On well, an urgent oh. response, right? If you want something, it has to be get their attention now. Yep. It's it's this, um, oh, the world's going to end. We're going to have a nuclear holocaust. We're going to, our food chains or the, the distribution system is going to collapse. We're having this uh, pandemic. I mean, you name it, whatever it is, it's all about moving the neurology into a sympathetic state to get people to do things out of fear. Right. 
And when we're in that state, we don't have all the resources available to make the best choices that are available. Right. It's, it's super simple. Yes, <laughs> it, it is uh, just learning to see it and become aware of when you feel a trigger in yourself is a little a little interesting. Like I'm decent at it now, but 10 years ago, I I could be played with probably like I was, especially if I'm addicted to it, which I am. So, you know, sometimes you want to be in that have to do something state because you're used to the adrenaline, the cortisol, the norepinephrine, all of the, the stress hormones surging through you. Yeah. It does feel good to a degree because you're kind of numb. Yeah. yeah. I, like when I first got into the whole knee pain thing, the whole, my whole healing journey happened as a result of a knee injury. And I was so addicted because I was in judo, right? I love throwing people. That was like my gig. I, I, I lived to go to judo just to throw people. And when I injured my knee, I couldn't do it. So I couldn't get that adrenaline hit of throwing somebody. And I wanted, it, it seemed like that was like this plateau that I would camp out on and just live there. And once I um, injured my knee, it felt like my body, I couldn't get back to that place of comfort or that place where I could be okay on the judo mat and not feel like um, it, how could I, how could I put this into words? The physical discomfort I had in my body no longer justified the the sympathetic cortisol hit that I was getting as a result of throwing people. Yes. Like the payoff was no longer there. Yeah. And I had to figure out how to make sense of my life without having that as being the be all end all. Because when I injured my knee, the only thing I wanted to do was get my knee fixed so I could get back to do throw people. That was right. Like, well, it's a good impetus. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if, because I've never done judo and it doesn't sound like a flow state activity, but the, the enjoyment you are getting from it sounds like the the dopamine rush that you would get from a flow state activity like surfing or like mountain biking something where time disappears and mm -hmm. you don't really care anymore and you're just in the present moment all the time was it was it that for you totally okay yeah. is you know you're moving around and you're you you're working with an working against an opponent to figure out how you can trick them to foot sweep them or throw them over your hip or over your leg or with a foot technique or a hand technique, whatever it was. Yeah. And so it's like this very fast in time chess game yes. that you're trying to figure out how to trick them to throw them on their back as uh, expediently as possible. Yes. <laughs> what well, sounds Sounds fascinating. I've never been into martial arts, and this year is the year for martial arts, just to to uh, learn some of those those different flow state skills. And because I'm fascinated with the neurology, since yeah. speaking to you, and that sounds like something that's really 
using the neurology and learning other people's neurology, like Systema, like you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so just a just a little tangent mm. on Systema. I got a, a message earlier today uh, from a guy out of Johnson City mm. who is interested in uh, training once a week in Johnson City, once a week in Asheville, Asheville area. Um, I, I think I told you I stepped away from yeah. teaching back in 2016. And, um, you know, it's it's something that I I live and I think about almost every day. But there just been time and bandwidth and people's interest and things like that. It wasn't lined up. And anyhow, that may be coming back around just I'm not quite sure at this yeah. point. I'm still kind of feeling it out, but that may be more of a reality uh, happening in a short period of time than I had thought. I had, you know, I, I didn't know where it was going to go. I just put it on the back burner. So potentially winter 2023? Uh, potentially, probably within the next couple couple months. Months ago. Yeah, okay. That's fascinating. That, that uh, we would start training again. Who knows? Awesome. We touched on a whole bunch of different topics and we're, we're running good on, on time. Uh, do you want to save sort of, I have so many different things to ask, mainly hitching off our conversation from yesterday with the fractal nature of neurology mm -hmm. and of everything, but that would, uh, that'd probably be a great next conversation. Yeah. Do you have, do you have anything else you want to to touch on or wrap on on this one we're trying to oh. figure out specific times for this uh we will be going live with this podcast weekly uh we're still trying to figure out a a day and a, a time that works for everyone but um if this conversation was interesting to anyone then we will be doing this live uh on a weekly basis and we'll let you know times next week probably yeah i i mean i as as far as what what you want to talk about, mm -hmm. I'll just keep sending over texts okay. <laughs> or what I run into. Cause it's like fascinating. I have a client right after we get done with this, but mm -hmm. I had a client before and, um, you know, talking about tension patterns in compression as opposed to traction or extension yes. is a fascinating understanding. So it gets you out of the mentality of like the Previlo is the only way to go right. or a, um, what do they call those inversion tables mm -hmm. is the only way to go. Is that the good thing for my lower back? The, the body is more complex than that. So we can talk about that, looking at fractals and meeting yeah. the body where it's at, whether it be on a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual level in order to support it. I mean, there's just so much we can talk about. Like you said, the neurology is a lens you can look at everything from. So you can look at <clears throat> sovereignty. You can look at uh, growing food, permaculture, everything is that web that yep. touches everything and a ripple somewhere ripples everywhere, which is the fractal. So yeah, I look forward to next week's conversation and uh, thanks for doing this, Bill.